This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. We are live. All right, guys. How you doing? Thank you for joining me for this emergency episode live right here on Rumble. This is not a good day. This is not a good day for our country. This this is not a, a good day to watch the news. This is a sad and scary thing to see President Trump indicted by a partisan political prosecutor. I want to talk about the implications of this for our country. I want to talk about how you and I, as patriotic Americans, can and should respond to this. I want to give everybody an opportunity to join this, to log on, and to take part. I want to hear what you guys think. I want to hear what you guys are feeling right now. I want to hear what your takes are on this. What's going to happen? Is Trump going to end up in handcuffs? Are we going to see a perp walk? Are we going to see a mugshot of Trump? Is this going to be just, you know, humiliation? An exercise in humiliation by the Manhattan District Attorney who was funded by George Soros? What are you feeling right now? What are you thinking? Let me know in this chat. I I want this to be a conversation between us. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on The First TV. Watch The First on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. America is on trial. Join me, Josh Hammer, as we examine the presidential election through the only lens that truly matters, the legal proceedings of Donald Trump and the Biden crime family. This new daily podcast examines breaking news and analyzes the biggest questions facing the country. Can the former president, Donald Trump, get a fair trial? Can Trump be disqualified from the ballot? Can Joe Biden pardon his son, Hunter? Can Trump even pardon himself? We cover all the action every morning. Listen to America on Trial, wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Lots of people already joining. Hey, guys, how you doing? Let me know. Um, let me know if everything's good. Matt from Michigan says Trump is going to win again. You know, what's interesting, Matt, is I think that Democrats want Trump to be the Republican nominee in 2024 because they think they can beat him because this is what I can say on Rumble, probably wouldn't be allowed to say this on YouTube because they're lying, stealing, and cheating in 2020 in 2020 did get them the White House. And so they feel confident that they have patented that process and that they can replicate it. They feel emboldened and empowered because they were never held accountable for what they did. They were never held accountable for any of their lawbreaking activity, any of their electioneering. And so they think, well, if you combine the electioneering, which they were never held accountable for, plus the media vilification of Trump, which was, like it or not, successful, the left successfully turned Trump, who was a universally well-liked person, even by Democrats. He was a celebrity. He hosted The Apprentice. He was 
the richest man. He lived basically in these, these, these luxurious mansions that were plastered with gold, this, this opulence. Everyone loved Trump. He was, he was witty. He was funny. He was charming. He was Trump. And the media, the mainstream media, this is the power of the mainstream media. They successfully vilified someone that we all liked and turned Trump into orange man bad. So those two things combined, and maybe, maybe there's a third, maybe there's a third thing here that makes it a trifecta. Maybe it's the electioneering that they got away with combined with the media vilifying Trump, turning everyone against Trump. And then, of course, we have the weaponization of the federal government against Trump that hamstrung his administration that's still coming after him to this day. We had Russia, Ukraine, Mar-a-Lago, and now this, an actual indictment. An actual indictment. Oh, um, oh, you see me too, says sad times we live in. This is sad. This is a very sad day. This is a scary day for, a scary day for our country. And I, I don't say that lightly. A scary day for our country because we've abandoned the rule of law. We've abandoned the rule of law. Before we got on this live, I was, I was doing what we've all been doing and paying attention to this news, watching it, comparing it, feeling angry. And I came across an article that was talking about Hillary Clinton in 2016. And Hillary Clinton, as you recall, the Clinton campaign and the DNC colluded to pay for the production of the Steele dossier. We all remember that, right? Pay for the production of the Steele dossier, but they did it through a law firm, Perkins Coy Law Firm, so that they could hide what they were doing. They could hide the fact that they were fabricating horrendous lies against President Trump and then using it to smear Trump and then trying to keep their distance from it and say, oh, this is just, this is just a product of intelligence. We didn't pay for this. This isn't opposition research. This is just this just surfaced organically and it's so horrifying. But do you know what Hillary Clinton did? She labeled the payment for the Steele dossier as legal fees. It wasn't really legal fees. And yet now we have this district attorney in Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, who has indicted Trump. Reports are that it's 32 counts that Trump is being indicted. We don't, it's under seal right now. We don't know the details of it, but we all, we all know what's in it. This is the Stormy Daniels case, this, this porn star who once claimed that she had an affair with Trump. She actually recanted that a couple years later and said it wasn't true. So she was just trying to clout chase. She was just trying to accuse a powerful man of sexual misconduct in order to be paid off for her silence, which she was by Michael Cohen, not by Trump, not by his campaign, not by the Trump organization, by Michael Cohen, Personally, Trump knew nothing about this. Michael Cohen paid her $130,000. And when Trump paid Michael Cohen back for this, he labeled it as legal fees. It wasn't legal fees. So it was, a, it, it was an incorrect way to label this in business documents. At best, at best, it's a misdemeanor of falsifying business documents. But you have to have intent behind something like that. And to be honest, no one really gives a flying rat's tail about that kind of thing. Literally no one cares. No one cares. We have a border that is being overrun by terrorists. Project Veritas just, just released a new video from a Department of Homeland Security whistleblower that said just in the last six months alone, 160, over 160, known or suspected terrorists have infiltrated our southern border because it's completely insecure. But they want to get Trump because he said it was legal fee when he was paying back Michael Cohen, and it wasn't actually a legal fee. 
This is evil political targeting. I hate to even use the phrase banana republic because we've, we've used it so many times since the Biden administration, during the Obama administration, with the deep state targeting Trump. But this is what we're facing. This is what we're facing right now. Hillary Clinton did arguably something much worse. And I'm I'm not talking about just her entire existence, which obviously is much worse. I'm talking about when she paid a law firm to pay Christopher Steele to fabricate the Steele dossier, which she then used and the deep state used, to target Trump, both in the court of public opinion and through the legal system with the intelligence community. She labeled that as legal fees and it wasn't. And it's a campaign law violation or a campaign finance law violation. And you know what her penalty was? She just had to pay it back. That's it. It was a technicality. And they're just like, rectify your technicality and have a nice day, ma'am. But with Donald Trump, they want him handcuffed. They want him fingerprinted. They want to take a mugshot of him and they want him put in prison. This is the basis. This is the basis of why we're all feeling the way we're feeling right now. This is the basis of why we're feeling angry. It's the basis of why we're feeling hopeless. I don't know about you guys, but I'm sitting here and I wonder what we do. This is unprecedented what we're facing. We have never had a former president indicted. Never. We've had two vice presidents that were indicted. We had... um, Nixon's vice president, who was indicted, we all know that. And then way back in, I think, 1832, we had another vice president indicted. But never a president. We are actually in uncharted territory in our country. And so how do we react? Typically, I think you and I would react in the same way. We'd say, okay, well, what are our, what is our legal recourse here when we want to petition the government for a redress of grievances? We have the media, except the media is compromised in this case. We have our free speech, but... Oftentimes our free speech is censored on social media. We're not even allowed to talk about what happened in November 2020 or what happened in the lead up or what happened directly after, maybe overnight while votes were being counted. None of that. We're not allowed to talk about any of that. If we protest in the streets, then we are entrapped. We are charged as insurrectionists. We are charged with seditious conspiracy. We are branded as domestic terrorists thrown in prison for two years in solitary confinement pre-trial. Our families are debanked, told that we must leave financial institutions within 30 days or else we lose our life savings. This is what happened to the January 6th defendants. And so what do we do? It's not really a rhetorical question. What do we do? I want to dive into this a little bit a little bit deeper tonight. I want to look at some of your questions. Well, I can't read your username on air right now, but someone whose username is... Um, includes the F word, I'll just say, says USA is crumbling right in front of ours. That's what it feels like. And I want us to be very cautious about what we're feeling right now. I want us to be very cautious. Um, I want us to acknowledge that we're feeling anger and why we're feeling anger. But I want us to be very, very strategic about our response here. Because one of the things that the left does, especially the neo-Marxist left, is they behave in a way intentionally to trigger our reaction. Our reaction is what they are trying to induce. And so you and I must be very strategic, very wise, very prudent, very restrained in our response or else we're giving the left exactly what they want. If even a dozen Trump supporters, and I know there's what, a hundred million people who think that what's happening to President Trump right now is the height of heinous. But if even a dozen of those people overreact, a dozen of those people 
get agitated. A dozen, a dozen of those people do any any kind of act from vandalism to violence. Everything's done. So be patient. Acknowledge what you're feeling. I'm feeling it too. Don't do anything dumb. Don't do anything dumb. There is there there is recourse. There are solutions, but that solution sometimes does not allow us the emotional discharge that we would other otherwise otherwise want. Matt says it's frustrating. Um, Miss Daisy. 922 says, I've never seen anyone in this country treated like he's been treated. I'm 59 years old, never. Neither have I. Neither have I, and I like to think of myself as a student of history. This is, our, our nation has been imperfect. The most wonderful nation on planet Earth in the history of human civilization, our nation is inarguably the best. We, the idea of American exceptionalism is real, and it's built on the foundational principles of what our country is. We've committed wrongdoings in pursuit of this ideal, and we rectified those. But oftentimes, our wrongdoing has been a collective treatment of a certain demographic, whether it was depriving women the right to vote, whether it was depriving Black people civil rights, whatever it might be, and we've corrected those things. Tax evasion says, how did communism get such a strong chokehold on the U.S.? Is it just Soros' money? No, it's not just Soros' money. It's a coordinated effort by neo-Marxists who actually want to destroy the United States and have a strategy to do it. I talk about this all the time on my show, and I know some people think it sounds hyperbolic to, to label everything Marx, as Marxist, to say, oh, you know, what are we doing, calling the left Marxists again because we don't have any other insult for them? No, no, no. There's legitimate Marxists behind every single, every single cultural institution that we see that is crumbling, there's an effort by Marxists to subvert that institution. So what we have to do is we have to get very nerdy. We have to get very educated. We can't just sit back and act surprised when these cultural institutions and these cultural attacks, uh, or these cultural attacks on the cultural institutions happen. We have to foresee that, anticipate that, to stop it before it happens. Because once, it, once something does happen, like what's happening to Trump, it's a lot harder to stop it than it would have been to prevent it before it actually happened. We haven't even gotten to the content of the show yet. This is still my welcome. This is still me welcoming everybody. Uh, I really appreciate everybody's comments. Your, your comments are blowing up here. Jonathan says, I thought they were smart enough to not indict him once I had, once again, I had my bar set too high for liberals, Trump 2024. You know, this is what I will say, Jonathan. When Trump said um, last week, early last week, or I think it was last last weekend, so like almost two weeks ago, um, that the Manhattan district attorney was getting ready to indict him. I thought, yeah, the Democrats are definitely going to do this. These are not, these are not good faith people. These are people who want to destroy President Trump because they want to destroy us. They've wanted to arrest him for a long time. They want to humiliate him. And ultimately, just like Liz Cheney referenced during the January 6th committee, just like we found out uh, after the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago with this, this, this shady character from the National Archives behind this raid or the, the, the one who kind of spawned this raid by picking this fight with Trump, we realized that the statute that they wanted to use to charge Trump for mishandling classified information, part of that statute is that you are disqualified from ever running for office ever again. So we realized very quickly that 
that, no, these people actually want Trump in jail. Like, they literally want Trump to rot in prison. They want him treated like a terrorist. They don't just want to stage a character assassination in the court of public opinion. They want to punish him. So initially, I thought, yeah, they're definitely going to do this. And then when Michael Cohen's lawyer testified in front of that grand jury mid last week, I think it was Wednesday, and he said, no, Michael Cohen is a liar. Michael Cohen will say anything to get to get paid anything for fame and fortune, any, you, can't, you can't trust a word out of his mouth. And then on top of that, because Michael Cohen is like the key, part of this, the key part of this accusation, right? And on top of that, you had this letter from a different lawyer of Michael Cohen's who this letter had been sent years ago saying that President Trump, the Trump campaign and the Trump organization knew absolutely nothing about this payment. I thought, well, this was a weak and warped case to begin with, but with this evidence, how on earth could they possibly justify an indictment? And so I felt a little hesitation, and likewise, maybe I, uh, maybe I should not have. But Jonathan, if you were guilty of setting your bar too high, then so was I. Because for a moment, I thought, well, maybe, maybe Trump got a, maybe Trump got a win again. Maybe he escaped their plot. Their plot fell through once more. Um, all right, let me cap- catch up on a couple of these comments, and then we're going to jump into some of the other analysis. Someone says, "I feel sick," honestly. Oh Hume, oh, Hume says, I'm worried about him getting Clintoned. Yeah, like Epstein. Well, the Secret Service is the one that's protecting him, so Secret Service should not let him out of their sight if they're doing their job properly, if they're not corrupted by the deep state. We'll get to that because there's an important point on that here in just a couple minutes. Um, more comments coming in. Need for America says they framed Trump. Well, yes, of course they did. Your boy 19 says, can you explain the DeSantis tweet? Oh yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, certainly. Juju says, this is Soviet Union level tyranny. Let's lock up our political opponents. Oh, it's, it is, certainly. It might be even worse than that, worse than Soviet Union. So here are the the couple of points that I wanted to make. I've watched this unfold just as we all have. Um, I've watched this unfold tonight and have been analyzing the legality of it for the past couple of weeks since we found out about this. And was certainly, I was aware of this before they, Um, before Trump said something about it and then before um, Alvin Bragg said anything about it. So I want to just go through exactly what this is, what the legal case is first, and then talk about the political response and talk about what we're going to do moving forward. So the case, of course, while right now it's sealed, we don't know officially, we can speculate with with pretty good certainty that that this is about the Stormy Daniels case. Of course it is. The Stormy Daniels case, this is a woman by the name of Stephanie Clifford. She was a porn star. She made an allegation um, during Trump's campaign, his original campaign for president, that she had had an affair with him, and Michael Cohen paid her off $130,000. Now, in and of itself, doing this, I know it's called a hush money payment. There's another legal term for it. It's called a non-disclosure agreement. Super common, legal in the state of New York. Almost any high-profile job, non-disclosure agreements are a part of this job, especially if you work in the media, if you work as the staff of a high-profile person, Um, non-disclosure, if you work for a corporation and you have any contact with executives or proprietary information, non-disclosure agreements are extremely common where you are paid a certain amount of money not to say anything, usually anything at all, but certainly anything negative about the company in public or in private. Very common, very normal, very, very legal. Um, So that in and of itself is not not a problem. I mean, calling it a hush money payment makes it sound like something, something shady. And the shady aspect of it would have been if Trump had had an affair with Stormy Daniels, the original allegation was that he had had an affair with her while Melania was pregnant with Barron. 
Um, again, Stormy Daniels later recanted this. Trump has been has vehemently denied this all along. Um, now, here's the other thing. The other part of this is, first of all, that's legal. And second of all, this doesn't necessarily have anything to do with, pre- with Trump's presidential campaign in 2015, 2016. If he is a high profile person, which he was pre-existing his run for president, and if he was married, which he, he was to Melania, then he would already have had reason to pay off someone who was making an allegation so as not to damage his reputation in the public eye and so as not to um, cause conflict within his marriage. So any allegation that this was solely for his campaign, which in order for it to be a campaign finance law violation, it has to serve primarily a purpose for the campaign, that would never have held water. And in fact, it didn't hold water. The uh, Federal Elections Commission dismissed this when they looked at it years ago. They said, no, this isn't. This doesn't have anything to do with campaign finance law because it doesn't necessarily have to do primarily with the campaign. They dismissed it. That is a critically important point. Federal prosecutors also looked at this, and they looked at this carefully because what Michael Cohen did regarding, uh, or in, in, the, in, in his sphere as it relates to this case, um, he was actually charged and convicted of, or actually he pled guilty, didn't he? He pled guilty. Um, he is serving time for things related to um, finance violations. Not campaign finance violations, but financial violations. And so they, these federal prosecutors at the time examined President Trump's behavior and his awareness of these things and determined they didn't want to bring a case. So we have two different things. The FEC and federal prosecutors who both said, nah, this is a nothing burger. This is not a thing. We don't even care to pursue this. And at the time, this Trump was already disliked. The left was already demonizing him, already vilifying him. And still, these two organizations um, or the federal prosecutor, and then the FEC decided that there wasn't enough there for them to charge him. This is very important. It's very important. And in fact, the alternative um, that some people are, are suggesting that, oh, if Trump had paid this through the campaign officially, this wouldn't have happened, that would have been blatantly illegal. So they're putting Trump right now in this damned if you do, damned if you don't category, where if he used his own personal money to pay through a personal um, intermediary to pay this money to Stephanie Clifford or Stormy Daniels, um, same person, stage name, real name, then they're saying that he didn't, that that was somehow illegal, that that was a misdemeanor that they're elevating to a felony. But if he had used campaign finances for that, that would have been an outright violation because this obviously wasn't something that a campaign should be paying for. This was something that was in the interest of Trump as a businessman uh, and in the interest of Trump as a husband. The other aspect of this is, believe it or not, it is very common, especially for extremely wealthy people, people in the public eye, to settle with, well, it's usually men and settling with women, high-profile men to settle with women who are making false allegations just to get those women to shut up. It's called a nuisance payment. That Trump, who is so wealthy, $130,000 to him is like 10 bucks to us. So if someone was making a false allegation loudly in the media about you, and you had the opportunity to shut her up for 10 bucks, wouldn't you do it even if she was lying? And even if, even if you were completely innocent? Of course you would. I would too. And that's what Trump was doing here. All three of these things are the context for this case. So then of course we get to Alvin Bragg, this Manhattan district attorney who is bought off by Soros. And I know if you go on Twitter right now, I know a lot of you guys are on Twitter. If you go on Twitter right now or anywhere where liberals are congregating, they are telling us that if we mention the name Soros, 
If we talk about the impact and influence that Soros has on American politics, because he gives so many millions of dollars towards political causes that we are being anti-Semitic. It's laughable. It's the most absurd allegation ever because when we talk about Soros, we're talking about his money and his activism. Like the money that he uses for activism, not even like his money in his bank account. We're talking about his political activism. It would be like if a, a pro-abortion activist criticized Lila Rose and we were like, oh, you can't, that's anti-Catholic because she's Catholic. Like, no, they're talking about her, her political activism. We are talking about Soros political activism and it is objective reality that George Soros gave $1 million to Alvin Bragg's election, his campaign, his re-election campaign. George Soros wanted to elect Alvin Bragg into this position as Manhattan District Attorney. Why? Because George Soros sponsored this progressive prosecutors project all over the United States. We all have, we've been talking about it for years. This is the manifestation of it. This is what happens when you deliberately elect prosecutors who don't have any interest in prosecuting crime. Soros has this bananas theory that if you decriminalize everything, it will make society better. That half of convictions that happen, most of convictions that happen, most incarceration is unjust because there's no such thing as neutrality in the law. Our law is systemically racist and it's systemically oppressive against marginalized persons. It's a neo-Marxist philosophy. This is what happens. Alvin Bragg downgraded 52% of felonies in 2022 to misdemeanors. Over half. And yet, when it comes to President Trump, something that's a misdemeanor that really shouldn't even be a misdemeanor because no one literally cares. He's elevating to a felony. Now, the only technicality, the legal technicality, why he can elevate this to a felony, he can't just choose to do this. He has some discretion as a prosecutor, but there is a contingency here. There is a condition, I should say. The condition is he can elevate it to a felony if he can prove that the falsification of business records, Trump saying legal fees when it wasn't legal fees, was done deliberately either in the commission of or to cover up an additional crime. But what is that additional crime? That additional crime is under seal, but the speculation is that it's a campaign finance law violation. So you might be thinking, okay, but this is this is a, a an imploding argument from Alvin Bragg. This is this case is just like cannibalizing itself. And you're exactly right. It is. This is the weakest case on planet Earth. So it's stupid in and of itself, but then you compare what Alvin Bragg has done with actual violent criminals in Manhattan. A man that was accused of raping his teenage relative was given a sweetheart deal by Alvin Bragg. And this man, once he served like 30, 60 days in jail for raping a teenager, went on to allegedly assault five other people. That's Alvin Bragg. He doesn't even want violent criminals, rapists locked up. He downgraded a felony for grand larceny to a misdemeanor. But oh, Trump filled in some, something incorrectly on, on a legal form. Let's slap those handcuffs on him. Let's get him, in the, let's get him in the slammer. Trump made an official statement, and I'm gonna read that, and then we're gonna talk about the handcuff thing, because this is gonna be interesting to watch unfold. There's a little... 
there's a little uncertainty because we are in uncharted territory. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. We don't know. Can a former president actually be handcuffed? We're going to talk about that in a second, but I want to read to you Trump's official statement on the matter. He released it and said, this is political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. From the time I came down the golden escalator at Trump Tower, and even before I was sworn in as your president of the United States, the radical left Democrats, the enemy of the hardworking man and women, men and women of this country, have been engaged in a witch hunt to destroy the Make America Great Again movement. You remembered it just like I do. Russia, Russia, Russia. The Mueller hoax. Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Impeachment hoax number one. Impeachment hoax number two. The illegal and unconstitutional Mar-a-Lago raid, and now this. The Democrats have lied, cheated, and stolen in their obsession with trying to get Trump. But now they've done the unthinkable, indicting a completely innocent person in an act of blatant election interference. Never before in our nation's history has this been done. The Democrats have cheated countless times over the decades, including spying on my campaign, but weaponizing our justice system to punish a political opponent who just so happens to be a president of the United States and by far the leading Republican candidate for president has never happened before, ever. Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg, who was handpicked and funded by George Soros, is a disgrace. Rather than stopping the unprecedented crime wave taking over New York City, he's doing Joe Biden's dirty work, ignoring the murders and burglaries and assaults he should be focused on. This is how Bragg spends his time. I believe this witch hunt will backfire massively on Joe Biden. The American people realize exactly what the radical left Democrats are doing here. Everyone can see it. So our movement and our party, united and strong, will first defeat Alvin Bragg, and then we will defeat Joe Biden. And we are going to throw every last one of those crooked Democrats out of office so we can make America great again. That is Trump's official statement. So... The arraignment is expected to happen in New York next week. I don't know if President Trump is going to cooperate. I don't know if he's going to peacefully surrender or if he's going to reject this on the grounds that it's illegitimate. I don't know. The expectation is that he will head to New York. Um, will he be handcuffed? That's the question. Here's where it actually gets interesting because can you handcuff a former president? This is not something that the NYPD or even the prosecutor can be involved with. This would be left solely to the discretion of the Secret Service who, whose responsibility it is to protect the President of the United States. So this, what I'm looking for here is exactly how deep the deep state is. Have they overtaken the Secret Service? Because if President Trump is handcuffed, then you have to wonder, is the Secret Service like the military and like you know, district attorney, this district attorney's office, like the intelligence communities, like the FBI, is it likewise infiltrated by deep state agents who want to humiliate Trump? Because all they would have to do is say no. And handcuffs wouldn't get anywhere near Trump. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see that play out. So we're going to get to the DeSantis statement in a second. I want to look at a couple of your comments first, because during that, about 100 came in. It seems the consensus, there's about 20 comments from you guys. It seems the consensus is that it's okay to criticize George Soros. Well, I agree, of course. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. Um, Juju says nothing wrong with hush money. Just look at Bill Clinton. Trump did nothing wrong. Right. Bill Clinton paid, what was it, $850,000 to cover up his actual sexual indiscretions. And what happened with that? Nothing. Nothing. 
Uh, Walter said, who is leading the deep state against Trump for this case? That is a great question, Walter. That is a great question. And Jim Jordan in the House of Representatives is leading multiple committees, multiple House committees, to investigate the connection between the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and Biden's Department of Justice, the federal government. I cannot wait until we get our hands on those communications because you know it's happening. Of course it's happening. You know the Department of Justice and Eric Garland and all his underlings and the FBI are, of course, talking to the Manhattan District Attorney. There is no way they don't know about this. There's no way that they either didn't give their implicit approval or that they were just like, go ahead, go ahead, my eyes are closed. Do it behind my back. Of course they did, and we deserve to look at this. We deserve to look at this. Oh, um, Osiris Soft says even the alleged felony exceeded the statute of limitations. You know what? That's an interesting point too. I saw that earlier and I haven't had a chance to verify that, but you are not the first person that brought that up. I'd be interested in seeing verification. We can maybe look that up a little bit later in the show, but um, like I said, not the first time that I have seen that. And if it's true, then there must be something else in this indictment. 32 counts is a lot. I'm sure that Alvin Bragg has twisted and contorted the law and twisted and manipulated Trump's actions, reality, into something else. They certainly are going to have a fallback if this, this one case falls through. So I guess we're gonna have to wait, wait on that to see what happens. Um, so Governor DeSantis of Florida made a statement, uh, an excellent statement, I thought, and I wanna read it. He said, the weaponization of the legal system to advance a political agenda turns the rule of law on its head. It is un-American. The Soros-backed Manhattan District Attorney has consistently bent the law to downgrade felonies and to excuse criminal misconduct. Yet now, he is stretching the law to target a political opponent. Florida will not assist in an extradition request given the questionable circumstances at issue with this Soros-backed Manhattan prosecutor and his political agenda. Uh, first time I read that, this is what my reaction is. This is actually what I commented under it. I saw it on Twitter and I was like, based, DeSantis, based, based. My understanding of the extradition process when it comes to a domestic extradition, because a lot of people don't even know that that's a thing or think that's a thing. It's a formality. It's an administrative thing. Like if you are, if you're in a foreign country, for example, if you're in like Hong Kong and you get an extradition, well, I guess Hong Kong's a bad example because they don't have the same extradition laws. If you're in the UK and um, you commit a crime here in the United States, then the U.S. files an extradition request and the U.K. generally complies and um, sends that person back to the United States. That's, that's, that's the process of extradition. But in the United States, if you commit a state uh, crime, a state-level crime, and you're, and, you're, and you're prosecuted for that, like the Manhattan District Attorney, right? That's a state-level uh, crime. Then you're still in the United States. So do you actually have to be extradited, or is that just is that just something that they have they can they can get you they can call you they can subpoena you they can arrest you? Well, the answer to that is in Florida. There's a little bit of a gray area here. It's a technicality. It's a it's a uh, administrative process that says actually it's just a piece of paperwork you file with the state of Florida if you're going to make an arrest in Florida if you're going to come and get someone who you're charging in Florida and, and, and take them into custody, you have to file paperwork. And usually it's just a rubber stamp in Florida. It's usually just like, yeah, sure, as long as you file paperwork, we just wanna know what's happening in, in our state um, and make sure that something weird isn't going on. But I have high confidence in DeSantis's legal team. And if they feel that they are able to refuse this administrative task based on the fact that it's an illegitimate um, political witch hunt, then 
I think it's super based. I think it's awesome. Um, I think that that's a great move by DeSantis. Whether it will hold up in a court of law, whether he has the right to do that, I understand the counter argument to this is how can one governor be the judge and the jury? How can one governor just decide that a case is illegitimate? And the answer to that is I don't know the ins and outs of the legal paperwork. So um, that's I think that's going to be part of what plays out. My guess is that it won't actually play out. My guess is that President Trump will probably head to New York, but we'll know within a couple of days, won't we? We will know. Um, the other thing, the other big part of this, before we even get to what this means for our republic and how we should react, the reason that this happened today seems very obvious to me. In Tennessee and Nashville today, at the state capitol, there was an insurrection. Radical leftists stormed the state capitol in Tennessee in the in the quote unquote name of gun control. They literally they broke into the capitol. They were violent. They were pushing and shoving with police officers in the state capitol. It was, it was something to behold. And yet the media said nothing about it. These people that literally broke into ground that they weren't supposed to be on broke into a government building in order to try to violently coerce the legislature to pass their political agenda, they weren't arrested. They didn't have their cell phones geotracked. They didn't have the FBI raid their homes. They weren't thrown into the gulag and left in solitary confinement for two years before they faced trial. Their families weren't debanked. They weren't labeled as domestic terrorists. They weren't silenced and kicked off social media and almost any other online platform who could identify them. None of that. The media just ignored it, just ignored it. This is, this is not just, oh, look at the Democrats being hypocrites. That's not why I'm bringing this up. I'm bringing this up because it shows you that the Democrats are comfortable with a two-tiered justice system. I, I, I'm not surprised when we see one or two or five or 10 radical leftist Democrats trying to abuse the rule of law to target their opponents. I expect that from AOC. I expect that from Ilhan Omar. I expect that from district attorneys like, like Alvin Bragg. But what we have to understand today is this is not just a fringe element of the Democratic Party. To my knowledge, up to this point, there have been exactly zero Democrats who have condemned what Alvin Bragg is doing to Donald Trump. Zero. Which means that the Democratic Party as a whole is totally fine with a two-tier justice system where January 6th protesters are treated like criminals, worse than criminals, terrorists, and the transurrectionists in Tennessee are just, just went home and had dinner with their families. They, they were done after their day's work. Completely different. Where Hillary Clinton, who wrote legal fees on her payments to Perkins Coy, who paid Christopher Steele to invent the Steele dossier that was used to weaponize the federal government against Trump, just technicality, she just had to pay it back. And President Trump is indicted for the same thing. Indicted for a felony for the same thing. This is where I start getting the chills. This is where I start really fearing for our country. Someone earlier in the comment section said this is Soviet-style targeting of political opponents. And I gotta tell you, do you know what it reminded me of even more than, than Soviets? Remember that Congress, that communist Congress that happened in China just a couple months ago? 
And it was this, it's part of the sham election process of Xi Jinping. Like we know that he is going to be president for life. We know he's never going to relinquish power. But at this, at this, this, this sham com, uh, communist Congress in China, there was videotape that started circulating of the former president of China being suddenly, quietly escorted out of the Congress. And he was so surprised. At first he resisted. He said, get away from me. But these guards came over to him and took him out. He And on his way out, he stopped and he pled with Xi Jinping, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Xi Jinping just flicked him away. Flicked him away. And he was carried out because it was a public act of humiliation. It was a public act of political targeting. I think, actually, I'm going to check with my producer. Matt, do we have that video? Because I'd like to play that video if we have it. Watch this. Okay, let's play this. You guys see this? Watch. He knows. Look at Xi Jinping. That is what's happening to Donald Trump right now. His political opposition, after they're lying, stealing, and cheating, are trying to get rid of him. They want a public walk of shame. They want to humiliate him. And then they want him gone. Just gone, destroyed. That's what I keep thinking of. Ever since I saw that Trump was indicted, I keep thinking of that video. We talk all the time about the communist Chinese and what they're trying to do to our country. And meanwhile, the deep staters in our federal government are already acting like the communists in China act targeting their political opponents. Does that give you the chills or does that give you the chills? Don't even give me from the left. The left is constantly saying, don't even give me, no one is above the law. Let me tell you, everyone is above political targeting. Everyone is above fake indictments. Everyone is above being targeted by politicians who are weaponizing the power of government to try to stifle people's politics when they simply don't like someone's politics. I don't know how you could possibly deny that this is election interference. President Trump is now going to spend the remainder of his campaign for president with this. He could very possibly be put in prison during a presidential campaign. How does this not constitute election interference? Of course it does. Of course it does. But here's the thing, I don't wanna tell you what to do, but I'm gonna tell you what I am not gonna do. I am not going to turn out and protest. I refuse to be January 6th. I'm not going to give the left what they want, especially if you're in a blue city or in a blue state. You think those people outside of Mar-a-Lago, maybe you're one of them, maybe you're listening from out there right now. Do you think the FBI has not put facial recognition on you? Do you think they haven't taken videos and photos of everyone that's out there. You think they don't want to target you too? That's the point. They're targeting Trump, but that just means that they can target you too. 
you just have less of a platform to fight back with, less money to fight back, less fewer supporters to fight back with you. They're trying to January 6th you. And as soon as anyone, I know I said this earlier, but as soon as anyone on the fringe of Trump supporters gets a little rowdy, a little agitated, a little violent, it's over. It's done. They've gotten what they want. They're doing this on purpose to elicit a reaction from us. Don't give it to them. It's hard for me to sit here and say what we should do. I know I said at the beginning of the show that we're going to talk about what this means for our republic and what we as patriotic Americans, what we can do about this. And I don't have all the answers, but I do know a couple of things that we can do. I do know that Democrats want this, their abuse, to serve as a rallying cry for us to support President Trump. They want to use this to make sure that President Trump is the nominee for the Republican Party for president in 2024 because they think they can do the exact same thing to him in 2024 that they did in 2020. They think they can leverage the media vilification of him and the general dislike that the media has fostered among centrists and independents and Democrats in this country. They think they can take that plus their electioneering, plus their weaponization of the federal government, and they think they could just use the same playbook and defeat him again. Maybe they can. Maybe it will work. We have not seen accountability for the people who propagated that against Trump in 2016 and 2020. So if they're confident that it's going to work again, I almost can't even argue with them because Republicans didn't do their due diligence to make sure that this stopped. But what we can do as we can make sure that the tactics, the electioneering tactics that the Democrats used are ineffective. And the way that we make sure that they're ineffective, these electioneering tactics, when we don't have the capacity or Republican elected officials don't have the gumption to roll that back and overturn them, as we can compete with those tactics. They're gonna ballot harvest, we're gonna ballot harvest. If they're gonna early vote, we're gonna early vote. If they're gonna target specific demographics of voters and tell them how to vote, bring them ballots, and then take their ballots to the polling place, so should we. If we refuse to compete with early voting and drop boxes and ballot harvesting because we don't want election season, we prefer election day, then we're gonna lose. But if we compete, if we build up a massive apparatus to compete with the Democrats' massive apparatus, for all of election season, then we might actually have a chance of winning so that we can revert it back to, we can restore election day. It's not an easy solution. It's not some magic potion. It's not a silver bullet. It's not an insta-cure, but it's something. I know a lot of us feel hopeless. But we can't forget where we live and what we are. And that our system, while corrupted by deep state bureaucrats who are abusing it, the system itself is not broken. It's the people who are running the system that are broken. I do feel angry. I do feel, it's not even frustrated. I feel infuriated. I feel fearful for our country but I don't feel like we have lost this fight. In a sense, I feel like we have only just begun to fight 
the deep state, the administrative state, this apparatus that seeks to rule over us, the ruling class. The encouraging part of this tyranny that we have faced in the past, well, the past three years since COVID, but through the Trump administration is so many of us had our eyes opened to this corruption, this corruption that preexisted, they're weaponizing it, but it was there. And when we realize that it's there, that's the first step to us actually fighting back against it, to acknowledge, what do I always say, to acknowledge the reality of the political enemy that we face. When we do that, we can fight back well against it and we stand a chance of winning. We're gonna keep covering this. We're gonna probably talk about this from now until President Trump is arraigned, at least reportedly, on Tuesday. I wanna know what you guys think, so drop me comments as uh, as we log off here shortly. Keep in touch on locals, lizwheelershow.com slash locals here on Rumble, on YouTube. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed to the show already on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, and take heart. Keep fighting the good fight. Trust in our system and don't do anything dumb. Thanks for watching. Thanks for joining me for this live. This was great. Appreciate Rumble, the land of the free over here at Rumble. If you haven't already subscribed here on Rumble, hit that subscribe button so that uh, you never miss you never miss another another live stream, another emergency episode. Appreciate you guys. Love you all. Thank you for being here tonight.